I'm reading Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you, sick, or in prison, and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Hmm. Thanks, Jen. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for your prayers for uh, family of our servicemen, as well as prayers for Afghanistan. Uh, very, very heavy on many of our hearts. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do something in a moment, but uh, just give you a, an orientation. Uh, as you know, I had the privilege being in Iraq three times, um, not to fight. I'm not great like that, but uh, in the aftermath of, uh, of when ISIS came and what happened to the country and uh, meeting actually several fighters from our country who were so uh, passionate about the situation in Iraq that they actually went back on their own uh, to fight with the Kurds to try to protect Christians uh, and Yazidis who were being persecuted by ISIS. And I know it's, it's going to happen again. It's already happening, but it's going to happen again. And, uh, and I'm not going to get involved with politics, but it's just, I just hope that you are praying because we, we really need God to roll up his sleeves uh, and do something uh, because uh, uh, women in, in leadership, 
that have been in leadership there will be killed. Um, educated people will be killed. And uh, Christians will be killed. And uh, so, uh, with that in mind, um, we, uh, as you know, we don't take up a physical offering uh, during this time, but I want to give you an opportunity if you would like to. Uh, on our website, there's a place where you can go to, right on the front page, if you just scroll down a half a screen, uh, it will show you uh, giving, and, and you'll see the words emergency relief fund, refugees. Uh, if you'd like to give, I want to encourage you to give. Uh, we, are, we are trying to do something uh, through an organized way to um, help those that are in harm's way. And uh, that's all I want to say uh, from the pulpit. But if you'd like to be a part of the solution by giving and praying, I want to encourage you to do that. And then for those of you that would like to give a sizable gift, um, then, um, but you need to know more information, uh, Nick Gilmore, our outreach pastor, will be in the, in the uh, patio, and he can explain more of the details to you um, so that uh, you understand uh, where your money is going to. But um, if you could just give and pray, um, you know, this is a time for us. We rarely get these moments in life where you say, wow, I can actually make a difference. Uh, we're, we're hoping uh, to save some Christians from harm's way. Father, we pray for the success of this. We pray for uh, the protection of these Christians. God, we thank you for what freedom we have here. And we ask that you protect our freedom to worship freely as we enjoy. But God, we ask that you would, you would intervene. Um, and protect lives. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, just to be human in front of you, um, as I was coming out onto the stage, I got a text from my beloved first cousin and um, to let me know that her sister, my cousin, just passed away um, during the last service. Um, loved her dearly. And uh, what a great reminder that um, there's a 100% chance that we're going to die. <laughs> Which is what this message is all about. <laughs> you know, how do I want to live as I go forward in my life? And I think that some of us including me, need some course corrections along the way. This is the second to the last message of the parables that we've been studying all, all summer. And uh, you won't want to miss next week. It's, it's, it's the clinging, the, 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 uh, the zinger that's going to pull it all together. So uh, please come next week. But it, it has the idea of leaning in and us being 
uh, kind of graduate students of following Jesus, not just wanting to be, yeah, I got my fire insurance to go to heaven, but if I was to really follow Jesus, and the parables, I think, speak to that. They force us to lean in. And uh, so today we're studying about the sheep and the goats, this very well-known but uh, somewhat provocative parable. So let me do this, uh, do a three-minute overview of where we were a month ago, because this is really part two of what I taught uh, a month ago, and some of you weren't here, and the other of you are like me and saying, ah, what did he teach a month ago, right? (laughs) So here we go. Um, Jesus says at the beginning of Matthew 24, and at the end of Matthew 24, watch out, okay? Matthew 24 is all about the end times. It's this sensational piece of of teaching from Jesus on the Mount of Olives called the Olivet Discourse where he gives us all this sensational stuff that people have written books about and predictions about and, and some of us have even obsessed for years about trying to predict Who's the Antichrist? When's Jesus coming? What the, what the common market is and the, and, and the mark of the beast? And, and we tried to figure it all out so that we would know. And, and here I am, 50 years later. But what Jesus taught is still vital to us. And oftentimes, what we've missed is the opener and the closer to Matthew 24, which is watch out. <laughs> And in the Matthew 24, he tells us three things to watch out for. He tells us, watch out for deceivers. Those are going to be leaders that are either leading you in the wrong way or false messiahs that are saying, hey, I'm the guy. And Jesus says, don't believe it. It's gonna, I'm going to come in the clouds. I'm gonna, it's going to be big in the sky. It's going to be real, real obvious. Secondly, deception about the timing. Everybody thinks that we can figure it out. What part of you cannot know, you do not know, you will not know, even Jesus doesn't know, only the Father knows, but we somehow think, I'm going to figure it out. And I was one of those guys. So deception about the timing. And then the third is what we're going to talk about today, Um, that not everyone who seems to say, yes, I'm on Jesus' team, is really on Jesus' team. And that's probably the hardest pill to swallow out of all of them. In baseball, I won't talk about the Padres right now, but my hope is they're going to come back, they're going to win the wild card playoff, and and they're going to go all the way and win the World Series. Come on, pods. (laughs) So in baseball, most people uh, that come from other countries and tell me what what they don't like about baseball, and she's it's too slow, and it's too this, and it's too, I don't understand this, 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 and wah, 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 wah. So baseball is a game of deception, right? It's all about the pitcher on the mound deceiving the batter. Did you know? Because a lot of us think, just hit the ball, darn it. You know, it's hard to hit the ball because the first ball's coming 
97 miles an hour, fastball, high and inside, but over the plate. And the next ball's looks like it's coming the same place, but it's a slider. And it ends up dropping out and sliding to the lower outside of the plate. I'm talking about a right-handed batter, excuse me. And, uh, and, and picturing it in my mind. And the next pitch is a, is a split finger curveball. I don't know, did I make that up? <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then the next pitch is a changeup. So what's happening is the pitcher is actually a very athletic magician. He's an illusionist that makes the batter think certain things so that the batter will strike out, right? That's what's going on in baseball. So Jesus is telling us that we have to be very, very wise in these last days. And are we in the last days? I don't know about the end of the time because Jesus said we can't know. But if it was the last days 2,000 years ago and the early church thought they were, then we're in the last of the last of the last of the last. We're closer, right? So there's things that could deceive us about Messiahs, about timing, and about so-called believers. But Jesus doesn't present it like you got to watch out for all of those other people. What he says is we got to watch out for ourselves. That we could actually deceive ourselves. And that's where this parable that we study today takes us. So after Jesus teaches in Matthew 24, he follows it with six or five parables to reinforce what he just taught, right? So the first is the night thief. You know it as, because there's a night thief. I never heard of that one. Thief in the night. Try that one. He comes at a time you don't expect. So it's a parable about timing, that it's going to catch us off guard. Secondly, the wise and unfaithful servant. So in the meantime, we want to be wise servants, serving our master well, not foolishly. Thirdly, the 10 bridesmaids, which is the substance of what I taught last time and how five were foolish, five were wise, and they, they weren't ready. Not only about the timing, but not ready with how they were living their lives. And then the parable of the talents, it's actually the parable that informed our culture to use the word talent. The whole idea of a talent show, uh, are you using your talent? That, that was not a part of Western culture until this parable. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Jesus actually influenced Western civilization by the word talent. And, uh, and then finally, the sheep and the goats. And all of the parables have things in common. For example, the issue of surprise timing is in the thief, the bridesmaids, the wise servant. There's the concept of delay. There's a, Jesus hints at a possible delay, which I would say 2,000 years feels like a delay, don't you? Um, it's found in the bridesmaids, the wise servant, and the parable of the talents. 
The emphasis on responsible behavior, Christian behavior, living Christianly. Uh, It's found in the thief, the wise servant, the talents, and the sheep and the goats. The idea of sifting and searching our hearts and a reward and and a judgment uh, is found in all of them. And the idea of not everybody being ready is found in the wise servant, the bridesmaids, the talents, the sheep. So they're all there. So now you're caught up. And now we come to the parable of the sheep and the goats. I want you to picture this slide. So there you have a sheep, and there you have a goat. And I think you can figure it out, right? What you don't know is this is a parable that would completely relate to the crowd of the Middle East. I had the privilege of going to Jerusalem when I was 21, my wife and I. Can you imagine? And while we were there, the Yom Kippur War started. And so we were trapped on the Mount of Olives in our hotel with soldiers all over our hotel, tanks going right through Jerusalem and, uh, and us figuring out, well, what are we going to do? Um, so every day, I said, well, why don't we go down to old Jerusalem? That's what we did every day. And I just grew to know that, little, that old town like the back of my hand. And uh, at the Sheep's Gate, every morning there would be, there was no Starbucks in those days, right? So there'd be uh, maybe 500 sheep and a few goats and uh, a few dozen shepherds, and they'd all be having their coffee at the sheep's gate outside of Jerusalem. And it was just this herd of sheep, and they'd just be hanging out drinking their Turkish coffee. If you've never had Turkish coffee, you put your spoon in it and stand straight up. (laughs) You... You take two sips, and the rest is mud at the bottom, you know, and I love it. <laughs> but um, when they were done, the shepherds would begin to disperse, and all they would do is call the name. They would give a word, and their sheep would just automatically begin to follow that shepherd. All 500 sheep dispersed in crowds of 24, 50, 70 because they all knew their shepherd's voice by name. And some of those had sheep and goats in them, which is another common thing you see. Sheep and goats get along well together. There isn't a problem, right? There is a distinction about sheep and goats, however. And I didn't share this in the first service, so this is extra credit. Um, One is at first glance, they look alike. And that's the whole point. That's what would ring with a Middle Easterner. They say, oh, I know, they they do look alike. They hang out together, but they're very, very different. One is their tails. The goat's tail goes up, the sheep's tail, which is often cut off just for cleanliness, but it just hangs straight down. So that's one difference. Another is eating. Uh, You might've guessed sheep eat grass, and more grass, and more grass, and goats eat everything. (laughs) 
If you walk into a petting zoo with a goat in it, you hold on to your dress. Uh, they just will just about eat anything. And sheep will largely just stay on all fours, but goats will actually get up on their hind legs to get to branches, to anything that's uh, appealing to them. So very, very different. Uh, goats are curious and very independent, whereas flocks of sheep are very skittish and they like uh, to be together. It's their, their mode of safety. So they, they love the flock. So that's just a few things that are different. So in the Middle East, as someone teaching like Jesus teaches, they would just get this right away. Well, there is a difference. And obviously, the parable is slanted towards favoring sheep, right? Because that's a motif all the way through scripture. Now, we come to the message of the passage, and Jesus says to the people that the king will come, and he will say, come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance. Now, aren't those the words you and I long to hear? It's interesting that this is the way Jesus' ministry ends, and this is where it began. Jesus began in the Sermon on the Mount, ending the Sermon on the Mount, saying that there would be people that say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Did we do miracles? Did we do it? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. So he started with that motif of it's a possibility that someone could look like a sheep, act like a sheep, bad like a sheep, but they're really a goat. And that scares me. Does that scare you? It makes me, you know, want to look inside into my schizophrenia and to see, it, you know, Lord, is it me? Well, if you're asking that question, you're probably in good shape. But the point of the parable is for us to look at our lifestyle and how we're living. And that's where Jesus takes us. He says, I was hungry, gave you something to eat. I was thirsty, gave you something to drink. I, uh, I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. And thankfully, some of you have done some of these things. This is not an exhaustive list. There's other things that we might do out of love. But the point is that you become a follower of Jesus. And apparently, Jesus was like this. This is what Jesus was like. And so when Jesus came and taught, Jesus came and the disciples believed. And Jesus is expecting them to not just believe with their mind and their mouth, but to believe with their life. So notice, what do these things have in common? Well, each of them, there's a need. There's a definite expressed need, just like we were talking about the need of fellow believers in Afghanistan. There's a gap, there's the need, and so someone's thirsty, I apparently am not. Someone's hungry, I apparently am not. So there's a need out there and there's a gap between me and them because I'm not the one who's experiencing this. And then the third thing is there's an action. There's an action where resources or time or energy that's involved in going out to close the gap. 
And that's what Christians do. It's just what we do. And Jesus is pointing us to the fact that that's how you know the real deal. So you're not deceiving yourself. Now, let me pause and just say, um, I probably am the person that should worry the most about this parable. Because what I do for a living is yapping. I have not fed any hungry people. You could argue, say, well, we were spiritually hungry. But I'm, I haven't fed any physically hungry people. I haven't visited anybody in prison. I haven't closed the gap. And I think I'm a, a prime example, just to pick, pick on myself for a moment, of someone who might think, might believe, but absolutely never do anything. It's why I didn't want to be a preacher. Because I grew up in, in a church that I, I saw the pastor once a, every blue moon, and, and it just seemed like he helped people who were dying. And um, I thought, wow. Who wants to be him? But some of us can be like that, where all we do, we, his, we have a belief system, and nobody knows whether we really are or not, except our hairdresser. They know for sure whether we're a believer or not. And Jesus is saying, no, true believers become doers not just secret thinkers about faith. So they asked the question, and here's the point of the parable. The zinger of the parable is Jesus saying, whatever you did for one of the least of these, they say, Lord, when did we do this? When you did, when did we see you hungry? Go Keep going, keep going. You're going to get to the Lord when, and, and he says, whenever you did one of the least of these things, you did it unto me. It was you? Now, what does Jesus mean? Was it physically, literally him? Did he come back again, reincarnate, or did he come back resurrected again, again, again? No, he's speaking metaphorically that when we love another believer, we are actually loving Jesus. This becomes a theme. This is the first of its occurrence, but it becomes a theme throughout the rest of the New Testament. Paul, the apostle, when he was on the road to Damascus, he heard the same voice of the same person, Jesus, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And there is Saul, knocked off his horse, hearing a voice, blinded, and he answers, it's when, whoever you are, whatever alien is speaking to me, when did I do this to you? And the voice says, you are persecuting me when you persecute my people. And Saul realizes he's been locking up and killing Christians. He has been the Taliban of the first generation. And, and Jesus says, you're doing it unto me. But then Paul takes that in reverse when he becomes converted fully and now an apostle. 
And he says to his church that we are the body of Christ. And the eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you because you're not like me. You don't think like me. We are going to just separate and become eyes. The ear to the, the, the kneecap, all the different parts of the body can't speak to each other and say, I have no need of you because you are not like me. Now, guess what we're doing right now? We are doing that. Not you, but somebody. We can't be with you because we are maskers and you are not maskers. We can't be with you because we are anti-vaxxers and you are vaxxers. We can't be with you because you uh, have followed the governmental mandate and we don't follow the government mandate. And I've watched this happen. I think, is this happening right before my eyes? Are we just doing this again? Now, some of you think, whoa, 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 Mark, you're meddling right now. (laughs) No, I'm preaching the gospel that we are the body of Christ and we celebrate diversity. And unity means being with people who aren't exactly like me. I celebrate the fact that we are Americans. And guess what Americans do? We have opinions about everything. (laughs) I read it on three websites, and now I am the authority, and now I am going to only be with people that think just like me. That is American, but that is not Christian. I thank God that you're a lot like me. (laughs) You don't need another me on planet Earth. And I have stronger opinions than you. If you've read three websites, I've read a (laughs) hundred. And I'm certain I know more than you because I'm arrogant and proud. (laughs) And I'm loud. (laughs) But... One of the three things that we can be deceived about is ourselves. And when we learn to not make a difference between small T's and big T's, small T's is the truth about vaccines, truth about management of this thing, truth about my, by small T, the truth I believe in regarding Afghanistan, the truth I believe in about blah, 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 just goes on and on and on. And I think the devil has a whole much more pitches to throw to us. And they're just going to keep coming and coming. And we're going to be in this whirlwind of just having opinions. And that's just American, but it's not Christian. So we have our opinions, small T, but we keep our eye on the ball And the ball is the big T, which is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus, who loves his whole church, and I don't have the privilege of being divided from you. Because that's unchristian. And Jesus prayed at the end of his ministry that we would be one. 
I don't know why we think that we have to be in homogenous groups. Homogenous group is a fancy word for birds of a feather flock together. We just love to get cozy with people who, I just love you because you think just like me. That's so good. Could we be together again? It's just normal. See who we are. But it's so difficult to say, oh, you think so differently than me, but you love Jesus. Yeah. When I was in one of my trips to Iraq, I was telling one of the pastors, I said, you know what's one of the things I didn't expect to see here is the division between Christians. The Catholics would not agree with the Orthodox, and the Orthodox and the Catholic would not agree with the evangelicals, and, uh, and then there are all kinds of other... Den- I said, I expected you guys all to be banded together against ISIS. And he put his head down and he said, I know, this is the land of Babel. Division, division. And I said, guess what? Babel is in America too. It is not an option for me to say I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be with you. It's just, it's comforting, but it's not an option. And Jesus is asking, so when did we do this? You are Jesus to me. How I love you is Jesus to me. Jesus tells us that. And then the other group, the goats, he says, depart from me. You who are cursed into this eternal fire, prepared, notice it's prepared not for you, for the devil and his angels. That was the idea. But when I decide I don't want to be like God, I don't want to love like God, I don't want to go to the God place where everything is love, that, sorry, there's, there's a, the, that's called the not God place, <laughs> where there is no light, there is no love, there is no presence of God. Now, think with me what heaven must be like. Can you imagine? I know where we go. I bet there's rainbows everywhere. And, and I bet you we can slide down a camel's and, or a giraffe's neck. It'll be so much fun. And I bet you endless chopu waves that we get to surf forever and we'll be good surfers. I bet you we'll be really good surfers instead of like we are now. I bet you... And, and we imagine, that's what we talk about, like heaven. And there's going to be streets of gold, and I'm going to chip a lot of chips out of it and sell it on the black market. And, and you know what heaven is? It's God. And you know who God is? Love. Do you know what love is? Love is, let me serve you. Let me wash your feet. No, after you. I don't know if we'll ever get through a doorway in heaven because we'll be saying, no, after you. No, after you. No, you please. After you. Everyone, before you call them, they'll call you. Before you can ask, how are you doing? I want to hear about your life. They're going to ask you. That's just the way God is. And that's how we will be. It will be heaven. So, when we meet Mr. Heaven, called God, he, when we are born again, born anew, born from above, his DNA begins to flow through us, and we become a sheep instead of a goat. Verse 
It doesn't mean it happens overnight. It doesn't mean that it's all at once. And it doesn't mean you have a few goat tendencies. But it does mean that God begins to work in our life, right? You with me? So let me read to you what Jesus says uh, through his uh, apostle John in 1 John, where John summarizes a lot of Jesus' teachings about this just in, in rapid fire. If you look at the screen, I think they're going to be on there. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life because how would you know that you're born again? How would you know? Is there any empirical data to prove that the secret thing that's happened in your heart is actually in your life? He says, yeah. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love We're learning to love. Anyone who does not love is stuck in death. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Now the next question is, well, how would you know? Because in our culture, you're still there, right? In our culture, if if you go and do a survey in your neighborhood and say, "Do do you love your fellow man? Well, not all the time, but yeah, mostly. Uh, am I right or am I right? That's what your neighbor would say. And then you say, do you love me? <laughs> and they say, well, not all the time, but mostly. Um, and, but if you followed through and said, how? We would uh, well, it's just, I love you in my heart. That's our culture, right? It comes from Hollywood. I love you in my heart. It comes from Hallmark. I love you in my heart. Don't want to be with you, don't want to be around you, don't want to serve you, no no time with you, but in my heart, there's nothing in scripture about that. Love is all action. So, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ did something. He laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother and sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words or speech. Let us not just yap like pastors, but to love with action and truth. First John 4, 7, dear friends, let us love one another For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, is a sheep. Whoever does not love, does not know God, is a goat, because God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love, does not know God, because God is love. And finally, 521. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must must, must love your brother. Oh. 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 This is big T stuff, folks. All the rest is little T stuff. Those of us that are old enough, we've seen other little T truths come 
you know, we had opinions about Vietnam. We had opinions about, uh, you name it, over the last 50 years, I have had opinions and I'm gonna still be an American and have my opinions, thank you. But there's always submission to the big T. So I don't get deceived and I keep my eye on the ball and loving others tangibly is not an option. So what do I do? I gotta learn the language of heaven. This is how we're gonna live for the rest of our eternity. So how are we gonna do that? Wow. Let me tell you a secret about Jan and I. I don't know if we're gonna pull it off. It's not looking good. But we've had a dream for the last 20 years. We, 20 years ago, we said, what do we wanna do of our life goals and accomplish? And one of them, at the end of the list, was to become fluent in Spanish. Just a secret. Uh, <laughs> what'd you say? Oh, <laughs> so I, th- I thought you said, oy vey. <laughs> I said, no, it's another language. <laughs> Although that does apply. So our plan was to go down uh, with missionaries for a month uh, to Costa Rica, live, get, get immersed in the culture, because I love the culture, live get immersed in the food, love the food, immersed in the language, and do it near the beach where I can surf. <laughs> and I just haven't found a month, and, and we're running out of time. So it's not looking good. But why? Well, I, I just want to learn the language. So how would you learn the language of heaven? Jesus, you got to hang around him. And if you hang around him, you're going to become a sheep. <laughs> you just, because he's going to show you how to love. He's going to say, <clears throat> excuse me, but did you hear what you just said, Mr. Snarky person? I want you to go back and apologize. Well, he was snarky first. Excuse me. But I would like you to ask for for their forgiveness. Well, I don't do... And now we got an issue. Are you a goat or are you a sheep? Is Jesus your Lord or is he not? Are you becoming a person of love or not? It's just the way it is. But that's not what I do as an American. But what trumps that... Sorry for that... But what, there, is another, there is another meaning to that word. What trumps that is love, truth, big T. So my friends, um, these are trying times, and I don't want you to lose sight of the big T truth of love and serving this wonderful Savior who is in a crazy way, loved you. And it forces us to not only have orthodox belief, which is vital in our minds, but to have orthopraxy, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, which is Christian practice. 
And Jesus makes it clear right here. So don't start, stop pursuing little T's, little truths. We're going to still find this out. Do I really want a, ba- a booster or do I not? Do I grow a third eye? I don't know. What, what is it? I, I don't know. Uh, but don't divide from other people, Christians, about this. We got to love each other. John 17 says that's how the world will know that he was sent if we love one another. It's an evangelistic tool for them to see, wow, look at how different they are. Yet, they still love, and it is the language of heaven. I know that it used to be that some people would wear a bracelet that said... uh, what would Jesus do, right? When I was a first a Christian, I wore a bracelet that said, what would Clint Eastwood do? <laughs> and I was so darn right. I mean, I, I used to say I should have been locked up the first 10 years of my Christianity, and now I'd say maybe the first 30 years of my, because I'm so right. And I should have been an attorney. I'm so right, and I'm so analytical, and, and I'm so argumentative, and I'm so much like a goat, so much like a goat. And I wanna learn to be a sheep. I wanna learn how to love. I'm gonna ask the band to come out, and uh, we're gonna pray and um, ask God to convert us, okay? We want to grow up before we grow old. Father, we thank you that you love us. Thank you for your wonderful patience with us. God, in this darn right world, we pray that you would make us true followers of you that are willing to sacrifice our lives, our time, our ear to each other. We pray that the world would discover Jesus and that you would keep us making the main thing the main thing. Thank you for this wonderful country we live in called America. Forgive us as America for the good, the bad, and the ugly that uh, our country is responsible for. But God, we thank you for the freedom. We ask God in these days that we would not only be Americans, but Christians who rise up in love like you have loved us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.